0: Today's podcast guest is Alex, who is the founder of Foster Independence Foundation and the host of the podcast, Shred the Should. Alex is a coach, speaker, and ninja who inspires me every day to find the balance between vulnerability and strength. Alex, welcome to the Belong Starts Here podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I love this. I was so excited when we connected. This is such a good podcast for people.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I, I, when I saw like your name pop up and I looked a little bit more into like everything that you do, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have Alex on here. Um,
1: I was super excited. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I want to start off this conversation, by, by talking about this blurb from your most recent social media post and it goes like this. The best decision I ever made was the day I decided to create a life I was told I couldn't. Not out of spite, but out of gratitude for my resilience, the opportunities I've created for myself, and the people who have helped me along the way. So that kind of reminds me of the quote, I didn't get this far to get this far.
1: Mm -hmm. Resilience
0: has a universal meaning of strength and being able to evolve and adapt but what does strength mean to you personally and how would you define that
1: that's a great question i think that strength means something different to everyone and i think that it's through the experiences that we have that we're able to decide what that is and how we want to define that and as you know, you know, I do ninja warrior. I was in powerlifting and bodybuilding and obstacle course racing and all these things be- before that. And when I first started doing Spartan races competitively, that's where I first started talking about this idea of mm-hmm. mental and physical strength meshing because that was the first time that I really, you know, I was I had this metaphor of overcoming obstacles, right? Because it's an obstacle course race and talking about mental and physical strength, but Bef- you know we think about it in terms of a physical context but i don't think i ever really thought of myself as being strong and resilient before that like i knew that i was i had to have been right to be in the position that i was in but it wasn't until i started looking at that physical strength that i was like yes okay i'm i'm strong on the outside and how does that translate to the inside and then i look back at it and i was like wait no i've literally been strong my entire life you know people see the biceps and they're like oh you're so strong and i'm like that's not what makes me strong. And so it's kind of, for me, it's been this journey of figuring out, okay, well, what does strength mean to me? And I think the the long answer, the short answer to your question is that I think strength is really just showing up for yourself in the moments where you think you can't or the moments where you don't know how you're going to, and it's making just small, consistent decisions Towards creating the life that you want to live. So, you know going back to that quote for me there was a Day, you know like a definitive moment I remember when I was younger saying I have these people telling me all of these awful things about me and telling me I'm never going to Be anything in life and there was just one second one decision where I said, you know what? no, I'm going to be whoever whatever I want to be and I think a lot of people ask me like, okay, you're doing all these things, you run two nonprofits, you have a business, you're, you know, whatever. Are you doing that to prove those people wrong? And I think like maybe at one point in my life, you know, but at this point, no, it's, it's purely out of gratitude to recognize that life can be really beautiful and I'm able to create a life that I thought I wasn't going to have, not just that I was told I wasn't going to have that at one point I really believed was not possible for me based on what abusive parents were telling me, right? And so the second I just took a chance on myself and decided I'm strong, I'm going to decide to create this life for myself, I just became really grateful for every opportunity and that's just guided me. So that's, I think, kind of what strength has meant to me throughout this
0: process. When you were talking about it, it brought up this kind of thought that I've had and I've been struggling to answer. The mindset that I have now, I agree that it's better than the mindset I had when I was really going through it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm wondering if that's the mindset I needed to get to where I am, like if I wouldn't have survived unless my thought process was trying to prove people wrong.
1: Yeah, and and it's hard to say, you know, because we can always look back on something and be like, oh, I should have, you know, and you know, I have a Shred the should podcast, right? And we like to should all over ourselves and be like, oh, I should have had this mindset then or I should have done this differently. But I just think that we're all doing the best we can with the information we have at the time, you know, and what we're going through at the time. And I think for so many of us, because I'm also assuming many of your listeners have experienced traumatic things because, right, and most people have when you are in something traumatic, you are basically just trying to survive in whatever ways you know how. And then as we do that, we develop all these coping mechanisms to get us through. And the thing that I always say is that you are not stuck as the version of yourself that you became to survive. And maybe that version of yourself got you to where you are now, you know? Um, Like in survival mode, I used to work 80 hour weeks. and that's strength and that's resilience and that's whatever but that's not a sustainable life thing right and now I run my own business and you know I was making like what $11 an hour at that point in my life and I'm obviously charging much more now running my own business because I can set my rates it's easy for me as a 30 year old to be like oh well if I had just done this as a side hustle when I was 20 then you know but like I was not the same person. I was not in a place mentally to do that. I was still dealing with a lot of my own processing and a lot of my own habits that I had developed as a survival mechanism. And those don't serve me now. Um, But that doesn't mean that it was just an overnight process of being like, okay, I'm not this person anymore. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, absolutely. And there's a difference between being sustainable and having strength Mm. um you can have strength and you can keep pushing yourself to the point where it takes a a toll on your emotions and your physical body uh with health issues i've experienced that (laughs) i'm like
1: who are you talking about right
0: now (laughs) i know because i i think it's so true because i put all of my energy into becoming this version of successful that I think everyone else would have approved of that I didn't think being success being sustainable was having a healthy mindset and having healthy mental health boundaries. So my body physically took a toll and I am still recovering from that. And one of the things that I see in you and what and some things that I think messaging-wise that we both have in common is so I have, and this is the first time I'm, I'm announcing it, but um I have in the works a book that's coming out and it's titled Oceans and Butterflies. The butterfly part is like in your face, everyone knows about that, but the oceans part is I first I grew up um, near the ocean. And I was actually born in Sri Lanka, which is an island. And I, it's my healing place. And it also reminds me that there's always going to be another wave. uh, And Mm. when that wave comes, you have to decide if you're going to jump over it, ride it through, let it knock you down. And if it does knock you down, you have to decide, do I want to get back up or do I want to let this wave drown me? And when that next wave comes, I'm I'm going to be too far down to get back up. And what I've learned about resilience and having resiliency is that it's when you're down, it's not about saying, okay, I have the strength to get back up. It's having the strength and and the willpower to know that you're gonna have to do this all over again when that next wave comes. It's knowing that it's not about getting back up again, it's about having the strength to get up again and again and again and again. And when you do that enough times, when you put yourself first and you value yourself enough to get back up, you, you realize that that wave that just passed you would have probably knocked you down a few years ago, if you didn't decide to get back up,
1: that is beautiful, and I love that, and that's so exciting about the book too. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um. The congrats, yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I call
0: it a heal in progress because it's. I'm not. I mean, you. You know, like I said in the in your intro, like you inspire me so greatly because, I am not at a place where I'm vulnerable enough to share, write down like, cause I feel like if I write it down, it's so much, it's real, like it, it happens, it's mm. real. And I almost have to relive it. Um. So that's still something like that I'm working on even with where I am now, it's like, there's always gonna be more work and there's always something that we can do to be better, but it's figuring out what parts are gonna help you towards becoming stable and having um, sustainability over success.
1: You said so many good things there that I want to touch on. You know, I think the wave analogy is perfect and something that I talk a lot about, and and you'll see people talk about this online where it's, it's talking about when you've experienced something where you've had to be resilient, people will be like, wow, you're so resilient. This is great. And people who constantly have to be resilient are like, cool, but I'm tired of being resilient. I'm tired of this wave knocking me back down. And I don't think, you know, not to say that anybody should have to keep getting knocked down by a wave, right? But but it, there's something to be said for just taking a step back and really acknowledging, well, hold on, can we just appreciate how many times you've gotten back up? Like it sucks that this wave is here. Yes, I am not diminishing that. But you have been able to get back up so many times and nobody can ever take that from you and nobody can do that for you and that I think is really beautiful because like regardless of a trauma situation there are always going to be waves that are going to knock us down in life right like it could be I don't know you lose your job at age 40 right or you experience a loss like it doesn't have to be facing foster care or childhood abuse you know childhood trauma is definitely a different experience for sure but there's always going to be waves and it was interesting so I signed a lease yesterday you probably saw my my stories I'm very excited yeah so signed a lease and like as I'm as I'm talking to the woman she like She didn't want to rent to me because my credit score wasn't high enough and kept asking me questions about my family. And I kept dodging and dodging and dodging questions. I'm like, look, I don't know you. I'm just trying to rent a house from you. Can we just like do the house thing? And eventually I was like, you know, you talked about being vulnerable and I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's do this. Let me answer your question honestly. And she starts, you know, I we had this whole conversation about like all my life experiences and the things that I went through and not all of them, like very, very limited because like I'm trying to rent a house for me. You don't need my whole life story, but enough to explain why my credit was the way that it was. And by the end of it, she was like, wow, you're so strong. You're so resilient. You keep getting back up. I, you know, I actually trust you now that you are going to pay rent, even though your credit score is Not like this. Um, And she was saying how, you know, when you have to go through something, she's trying to, like, you know, do the thing that people do where they're like making meaning of it. Like, oh, when you go through something that young, you must be so strong and so smart and, you know, much, much, you learn much faster than people that are older. But, like, there is something to be said for now, you know, in my 20s, I'm watching people that I thought had it together when I was a teenager and people that I, at that point, I compared myself so much and I was so jealous of all these people. And I'm watching these people basically feel like their lives are falling apart because they never experienced any real adversity up until this point. And they never had to get themselves back up. They always had someone to get them back up. And so, you know, for me, for you, like when I'm working with students who've experienced childhood trauma, um, one of the things I always talk about is like, again, going back to that wave analogy, you learn to pick yourself back up and like, yeah, that, that sucks. I'm not going to take that away from you. Right. But you learned that and you have that skill for the rest of your life now. And so now all these people that you were comparing yourself to, you're going to watch, like, they're going to start to feel like they're falling apart and not know what to do. And you're, you're good. And as you go through your healing process, and it's so hard to picture as like a 20 year old to be like, you know, 10 years from now, I could be functional and like happy and feel good about who I am in my life but like it exists and you can do it and then you're gonna look back on that and be like wow I actually was ahead and I hate when people try to make meaning of it like that because not everyone's ready to hear it but like at the same time it's it's true you know and if you're not
0: also at the same time it's because of their own guilt like can't handle that story or what you've been through because their mind cannot stretch that much So the only way they can kind of wrap their minds around it is by trying to find the silver lining for you.
1: Yeah, she literally was like, I have a 26-year-old daughter and I could not imagine. Like, I told her I've been on my own since 17. And she's like, but your mom, your mom must miss you. And I was like, no. And she's like, she must be looking for you. And I was like, no. And she's like, how did that, she was like, she basically was like, I don't believe you. How does that happen? And I'm like, not everyone's meant to have kids. Like, that's just, that's, you know, and it's trying to find a way to tell her this story in a way where she will understand enough about me to be like, yes, I will give you this house. I understand why your credit score is the way it is, but not so much where it's like, because So you talked about being vulnerable. There is this fear that we have when we start to be vulnerable of how other people are going to perceive us. Right. And so I think for a lot of people who have experienced something like, um, childhood abuse where we tell the story and people people who might be like great mothers, like this woman perceives herself to be, I don't don't know her, I don't know the situation, right? But someone like her has such a hard time believing, like I've literally heard it from people before where it's like, well, what did you do that you're, trigger warning, like what did you do that your parents don't want you, right? And so that's always in the back of my mind when I'm telling a story is like, okay, I need her to trust me and rent this house to me, but I don't wanna say anything that's gonna make her think like I'm untrustworthy when in reality, this is none of this was my fault. And that shows how deep that conditioning lies for so many of us. So you were talking about the book and being vulnerable and all these things. And I have a weird relationship with the idea of vulnerability because Tell me. I, yeah, I was talking about this on, um, actually it's, it hasn't come out yet, but my next podcast episode, we, we were talking about the word authentic and the word vulnerable. And I said that I don't like the concept of vulnerability because to me, like everyone's always telling me you're so vulnerable. And I'm like, no, I'm just being honest. Like I just don't want to hide. And so these things that I say and I do and I share that people consider to be vulnerable to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm not vulnerability. So I don't like the word should going back to Shred the Should podcast, right? Um, To me, there's shoulds implied on other either end of vulnerability. Like you you're being vulnerable because you should not share these things, right? We like to hide. We have masks on all the time. Even before COVID, we like to hide what's actually going on. And then on the flip side of that, vulnerability and authenticity are almost like trendy now, where we feel like, oh, well, we should be vulnerable. We should share, you know? So it's either you should share or you should not share. And there's fear on either side of that, again, because we don't know how other people are going to perceive us, especially when it's something as complicated as like traumatic experiences and there is so much shame and stigma that exists in experiencing something that you think nobody else has experienced right or experiencing something where like i said i've literally been asked like what did you do that this is your situation which is not how that works but we'll talk about that later and shame and stigma only exist if we let them. So if we look at vulnerability as this like radical concept of wow you're so vulnerable how do you do that and I'm up on a pedestal then we have on the other side of that all this shame and stigma that exists because nobody else feels comfortable being vulnerable because it's this like out there concept and that's why I love what you're doing because the more that we can talk about this stuff And people can listen to this and be like, oh, I relate to that. Like, wow, this is not just me. The less stigma there is, the less shame there is. And then the more people feel like vulnerability is just honesty and they're not walking around with like an invisibility cloak on having to just hide everything about themselves and what they've experienced, you know?
0: Or blend in. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. And that's that's one of the things that's – I, I bring it back to another I live off metaphors and quotes if people haven't noticed by now. but um, you know, it's I think of it as every event in my life, to put it in, you know, all like rainbows and butterflies in in a way, but is a pearl on a necklace. And I can choose to wear that set of pearls proudly or I can hide it away in a closet but when i when i choose to wear them when i choose to showcase that who i am and what made my life what made those string of pearls that's not saying this is just who i am this is it may be an accessory to who i am but it's not everything that i am
1: ooh i love that that's really really good yeah and it's something i say to my students all the time is your story is yours so you mm-hmm. choose what you want to do with it so you're writing a book like if you want to write that book and then do nothing with it and just keep it, you know, in your room forever. Like, you're not going to sell it. I don't know. You're like, nah, I'm good. I just put so much effort into yeah,
0: it. That's such a good idea, though. because But it's not even that. It's that having that mindset, I think, for me, would help me finish There you it. go. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I got you. I I got
1: you. Here to help. Um, But no, exactly, right? It's your story. So you get to choose what you do with it. If you want to write it and show it to nobody and it just sits in your room, cool. If you want to write it and just show it to me, cool. If you want to write it and then like post a chapter on, you know, I don't know, whatever platform people are using these days, cool. If you want to publish the book and sell it, cool, right? Like you get to decide what you do with it. The thing that I always tell my students though is that if you want to keep it private in your room, awesome, but I just never want that to be from a place of shame, right? So your necklace, your pearl necklace, if you want to hide that away in your room and, you know, because it's it's your special place for it like whatever, I just don't want it to be because you're embarrassed of your pearl necklace, you know or you're embarrassed of your book and I think that's you know I talk about dodging questions with this landlord like what would it look like if I just answered her the first time when she asks me about my parents right when when I was in college I was lying to people constantly you know and this was I was not as secure in myself at that point um but spring break or Christmas break whatever would come around and everybody's getting ready to leave their parents are picking them up they're asking me where I'm going I'm lying they come back I'm lying right and it's this This othering that we do. Like I was so afraid to let people know what my situation was because it's like, okay, I'm gonna be weird, I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna like, what are they gonna think? And we're caring more about those people. And the more we do that, the more we actually are telling ourselves the story that there's something wrong with us, yeah. and we have to hide it. And so that goes back to to your book. Like if you want to keep it in your room, cool, but I don't want you to keep it in your room because you think the book sucks and like nobody should ever read it. And it's the same thing with our own personal stories, you know?
0: Yeah. And going back to we keep things in because of, you know, what people might think or what they might think of us, what I am not as much anymore, but I still am. I fully admit it that I still am scared that or fearful that People are going to see me because i I like showing that I am strong and that I am very independent and I'm smart and I can I can probably do things you know better than most people, but that's that's my own conditioning of trying to be perfect. And I'm right. worried that if I show who I was to get to where I am and what I've been through, that they're not gonna see me as that person anymore. They're gonna look at me with pity or empathy instead of being like she's a she's a bad bitch, whatever the fuck that means. But that's like what I'm what the catalyst of like my mindset that I'm still working on and that I need to shift.
1: So something that might help you with that. And I, I, so even with all the growth I've done, I still, that's like a trigger for me is when people see my stuff and say like this upset me or I, they feel bad for me because that's not what I'm going for. That's never my vibe. Like I've had people from high school reach out, um, repeatedly saying like, Oh, I wish I knew I could have helped. And it's like, Oh no, 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 you, you knew enough. Right. And you didn't, or like whatever, or if you didn't know, like it was intentional anyway, regardless, like that's not what I'm looking for. Like I hate when people reach out with pity. Something that's helped me is just remembering constantly in all those moments I have to remind myself that no matter what you do you cannot control how people see you. You can't. So like example when I was a college senior I was like the face of uh, student debt in the state of Connecticut. You can google my name and student debt and you'll find pictures you'll find articles. I wrote a thing in the Hartford Current, and they wanted this op-ed piece on student debt. This was before I actually got involved in legislative work. It was actually around the same time. And I was explaining my story and working 80-hour weeks and how I had, like, over 100 grand in debt. and I was experiencing homelessness and food insecurity and all these things. And people loved my story. Legislators loved my story because it's like, here I am, like, per- picture perfect, you know, like, did everything right and this still happened to me, right? And, like, objectively, too, like, white girl from a middle-class town, right? So for them, it fit this narrative of, like, look, she didn't do anything wrong, but like, whatever, right? And so I wrote this thing, and I forgot that newspapers are online these days. This was 2014. And I forgot that newspapers were a thing online. So I wake up to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments on the internet, just like attacking me. And also because I publish everything as Alex and not Alexandra, people thought I was a man. and then, I got attacked, which also this shouldn't matter regardless because women can do this too. but I got attacked for like whining and not just joining the military by about like a 100 different people. Um, you know, it's like, oh, if you want free college, which I wasn't even saying we need free tuition, but I was talking about like accessibility issues, especially for independent students. And they're like, you know, should just join the military, stop whining. Other people were like, where are this, where are these kids' parents? Why didn't you, why don't you move in at home? I'm like, oh, did you read the article? Whatever. So, right. But then there was also like a hundred people that were like, oh my God, yes, we need this. So my point with that is basically just to say that, you know, no matter what you do people are going to perceive it differently and it's the same thing in relationships right where no matter how well you know me if you have to tell me something you might try to craft the message exactly the way that you think i want to hear it and based on my own conditioning i can take that very different ways right or even just things that we post online like you have told me you think that it's resilient and incredible and inspiring and At the same time, I had somebody that I just met reach out and uh, try to connect me with her therapist because she thought I needed it based on my post, right? And like, so those things happen. And so here I am being like, I'm gonna spend four hours crafting this message so that it comes across strictly as inspirational and strength and you know things that I legitimately feel, not because I'm worried about what other people think, but because this is how I wanna portray my story. And yet, I still always have people reach out with the other message. So just multiple examples all saying the same thing, which is that no matter what you do, you cannot control what other people think. You can't control what they feel. You can't control what emotions your story brings out in them. And so ultimately, all any of us can really do is just act in alignment with what's true to us and and who we are and you never know how your story just by being you just by one thing that you say is going to reach someone and impact them and completely change their life but do you want to deny you know at that point it's not even about you like yes it's about you and your story but if you think about it outside of you do you want to deny people the opportunity of potentially turning their lives around based on something you said because you're afraid of like the one or two people that might take it the wrong way you know what i mean
0: yeah exactly and it's it's not necessarily about what you think other people should hear in the sense that you need to craft a message that everyone will agree with but it's what people need to hear that maybe they're not getting enough of in order to heal themselves and i think that's that's the key difference Yes. yes so your shred the shed podcast Mm -hmm. you you kind of talked about why you came up with that podcast name and and you know that's that's like your whole thing but what other topics can people find on your podcast
1: yeah so i guess quick backstory on it for anyone who doesn't know with shred the shed so I, as a, I did it for two reasons. One is as a coach, I can't tell you when I'm life coaching or even personal training or nutrition coaching, like how much shoulds and should shame show up for people. So anybody listening to this, just think about how many times you use the word should during the day and how many times that brings up feelings of shame for you, because it's probably a lot. And how is that holding you back in life? And a lot of those shoulds do come from conditioning. And so the second reason was personal because as a kid, I was always trying to do the things that I thought I should do, right? The things that my parents were saying, like, oh, if you do this, because their love was very much conditional, but it wasn't even love because they never even said, I love you, but it was more like approval, right? Or like less abusive situation. I was trying to do all their shoulds. I was trying to do all the society shoulds. Like, I was a three sport varsity athlete. I ran three community service organizations. I was. Uh, Spanish and Latin and National Honor Society president, like I did all the things and I was still told that I was a failure, right? And I was doing all these shoulds, should for college, should for my parents, should for my teachers, should for trying to fit in in high school like we all try to do, right? And I realized that I had no idea who the fuck I was, like I had no idea, I was just trying to do everything for everyone else. And I realized that like chasing other people's validation is like you're playing limbo and other people are holding the bar and they're constantly moving it. And if you're trying to feel like you played a good game of limbo, you are never gonna win if you're just playing a game where you know they're gonna move the bar every single time, right? So for me, I started to say, okay, I need to shred that, shred all these other people's shoulds. What is it that I want for my life? So That's kind of where it came from. And so every episode I try to follow stories of people shredding shoulds in their lives and what they learned. And a lot of these people are also professionals in whatever field they're going to talk about, about how should shame shows up. So we've got therapists, nutrition coaches, trainers, movement, people, like everything, all the things. And so, so they talk about how should shame shows up in their practice in their professional world, um, or even just, you know, themselves. So the next episode that's coming out, I haven't released yet, is with a friend who's an actor. And she talks about how should shame shows up for her before a show and the types of things she does to deal with her triggers, you know, and then I had another friend who's a a meditation instructor and has struggled a lot with her own mental health. And she talks about how should shame shows up there. And You know, even just in the meditation space, she was saying how there's all this should shame around what meditation should look like that's deterring people from something that could be really helpful. So it's all over the place. Hers is the most listened to episode, though, I will say that. But yeah, but everything or even um, one of my best friends and I talk about should shame in entrepreneurial journeys. Right. And what we've learned. So it's everywhere, but it all kind of follows that. And it's, like I said, both personal stories and real tangible action steps that people can follow. Subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please.
0: (laughs) No. Yeah. So that that's definitely something that I think a lot of people need, no matter what their background is, no matter what they've been through, because like you said to one capacity or another, like that should and that shame is something that people experience. multiple times numerous times throughout their lives and if you don't figure out why that should is coming up and then what you're going to do to make sure that should doesn't stop you from progressing who you are then that's kind of like the roots that I would start with Um, and then once you figure out the root of the problem or root of why that should is happening then you can figure out the why and the how.
1: Yeah. Like I always ask, is it something you're doing for you? Is it something you're doing for other people? Is it something you think you're doing because you should? So like perfect example of this, when the pandemic started, I was having all these conversations with people saying that they let themselves go air quotes. And what that meant, that wasn't even like, I do a lot of body image coaching. I'm not even going to talk about that piece of it, but like, cause I know that's where you think it's going. It's a different side of body image than we normally talk about. What they meant was I stopped doing my eyebrows. I stopped painting my nails. And I stopped shaving and I said so I kind of did a poll on people and I said you know if you knew that you were not gonna see any other humans for the next couple months would you do this or would you not and the people who said that they would do it for the most part it's them doing it for themselves like painting their nails is therapeutic but if you're somebody and I I used to be guilty of this like I felt like I needed to wear makeup if I was gonna go out in public I was made fun of a lot as a kid for how my hair was greasy, how I smelled, like whatever. So for me, it was like, okay, if I'm going out in public, I need to have this aesthetic, right? And it was to the point where like my partner and I were going somewhere one time and I was driving and I realized that I didn't have any concealer on and I didn't have any in the car and I panicked and I was like, oh my gosh, we need to stop at a gas station. And this was actually like in the middle of the pandemic and I I was going to be wearing a mask. So... It didn't even matter, but like just shows this. And I've been doing this work for so long and I never wear makeup. But where we were going, I realized I didn't feel super secure and I felt the need to do that. And I was like, well, wait, if we were home, I would never do this. Right. So one of the things I've actually stopped doing a couple of years ago, aside from this event that we were going to, I stopped wearing makeup yeah. um, completely because I've been in multiple jobs where I've been told I should wear makeup. I don't like that. Um, and I realized that as somebody who struggles with acne, I felt that I needed to wear makeup. I should wear makeup to be accepted. And I was like, well, you are literally just masking and you will never feel comfortable in your actual skin if you don't let yourself or others see what that is. So I completely stopped. And so anyway, when the pandemic started and people are like, you know, I I let myself go. I'm like, well, did you or... Um, did you let yourself go or is this just something that you were doing for other people and pretty much everybody was like oh shit
0: what would you say to the people that are so comfortable playing into the should um, because they don't want the uncomfortableness of the transition to becoming comfortable without makeup for an example so they're like I'll just keep wearing makeup until x happens and then i'll be more comfortable so i'll wear more mm. makeup until my acne clears i'll wear more makeup until i lose weight and i don't feel like i need it anymore what what would you say yeah. to that?
1: that's a good question and so it's so dangerous to live in the i will blank when blank because a lot of times the when isn't the physical tangible thing that we're looking for it's actually inside our minds and just to also clarify because i get this question a lot i'm not anti makeup i'm not anti you know whatever i'm just pro intentions i'm pro understanding why you're doing what you're doing and what you're masking and so if you know a lot of people will say they feel more confident when they wear makeup and i'm like well why and i challenge it and they don't like that but it's and, and it's looking at like, I don't know, some people putting on makeup, it feels therapeutic, right? So they're like, oh, I don't mind doing it because it feels therapeutic and I feel more confident when I go out. And then it's like, well, okay, but what happens if you don't have that? So for example, if I feel like I need to have my hair clean and wear deodorant every time I'm out, what happens if I go out? To something unplanned and I don't have any deodorant on me am I going to be so distracted and anxious the entire time you know I talk a lot about how in our conditioning if you think back to high school and then I'll answer the question but I'm gonna give a I'm gonna give a story so if you think back to high school there was a thing there was a look for you to feel like you fit in with the popular kids and I remember for me it was you needed a North Face backpack, a North Face jacket and Uggs, right? Was it like that for you too? Something (laughs) similar? Yeah. Right. We can all picture it. And so what our brains do is say, I want to fit in We're we're like, like giraffes. you know, at the watering hole, I want to fit in with these giraffes. And if my spots look like these giraffes, then maybe I'll fit in. And so it's the same thing where like, I used to talk about tears in high school based on that. Like if you had the North Face jacket, the backpack and the Uggs, you looked like them, you fit in your top tier. If you have maybe like one of those things, you have a North Face backpack and maybe a jacket, but no Uggs, you might be like middle tier, right? And then if you were somebody who wore sneakers with jeans, because that was a no-go, you remember this? Yeah, then you were bottom tier. And so in our brains, we're like, okay, they don't like me because I don't have the thing. I don't look like them. And we assume that that's what it is. But how much of it might actually be the fact that you are so caught up in thinking about the fact that you don't have the uggs and north face that you're not totally present with these people and they don't actually know who you are and you can't actually form a real relationship because i remember Like feeling so self-conscious that I did not look like the rest of the herd that when I was in a group project with them And I had the opportunity to form that connection I I wasn't my funny like, you know sarcastic awesome self I was whatever version of myself I thought that they wanted me to be and that carried into adulthood and so Going back to your question. I work with a lot of clients who are like, oh, I'll do this when oh, you know When I lose the weight when the acne when whatever and it's like, okay well one what if that doesn't happen two what if it does and you have to do something extreme to get there three what if it does happen and you still feel the same about yourself because i can't tell you how many times i work with clients who say i want to look like this and they show me a picture of themselves from five years ago and i'm like cool tell me about your life then and they actually dig into their life at the time of the picture and they're like oh wait i wasn't happy with how i looked then either or i wasn't happy with my life or maybe they were happy with how they looked and everything else about their life sucked and they just put all their energy into their appearance so i'm not trying to like ruin anyone's worldview of themselves i am just saying Intentions are important. So think about what you're doing and why. And is your confidence conditional? That's what I always say. If you are only confident when you have all this external, this costume on, right? Because it's basically what it is. If you're only confident with a costume, what's underneath? Because those are the same people that end up coming to me for coaching saying, I want to be more confident, but they present as really confident to everyone else and they feel like shit on the inside all the time, right?
0: But where's where's the point where you have to stop questioning your why, and your should? So start start you know, questioning it. You said stop, stop because I could say, you know, I I wear you know the challenging. I wear makeup because it it gives me a form of self care and it's therapeutic and it gives me some mindfulness and meditation and time to myself. And it also makes me feel confident. And then you challenge it and say, okay, but why does it make you feel confident? And then you challenge it again and say, mm-hmm. why do you care if you feel confident in a group of people? And you keep challenging, keep challenging, keep challenging it. Like, where's the point where you stop? And you just let it be and you don't question it.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying you have to question it or not question it. I just think it's something to think about, you know, like yeah. if you are eternally questioning it, that's doing a lot of growth constantly. And some people would be like, cool, we need to constantly be growing. Right. And some people would be like, that is too much. I just want to feel yeah. good and just stop. So I don't
0: know. It's fine. That I can... Balance. That's right for you. Yeah.
1: And I think it depends on what else you're dealing with. Right. So when I was in college and i was working these 80 hour weeks and i was struggling with food and housing and i wanted to wear makeup because i wanted to feel more confident in a life where i felt like i had no control over anything like i was not in a place like if, if me as a coach came to me as an 18 year old like me as a 30 year old came to me as an 18 year old and was like yo why are you wearing so much makeup all the time calm down I would have been like, get out of here. I like it's not that's so (laughs) far down on my list of things like stop it, you know. Right.
0: That's, Um, That's a good way to put it into perspective, actually.
1: Yeah. So I'm not saying that anybody has to do it. I'm just saying it's something to really consider because here's what happens. Here's the issue is that. When I talk about this with people, it's because they already don't feel good about themselves, right? And the the makeup's not helping. It's just masking. And so if you feel like how you feel about yourself is an issue and it is consuming brain space constantly and the makeup is not fixing that, it's just masking it, do you want to? Are you in a place to do some of that inner work to figure out, well, why? right? So I can tell you, why I feel self-conscious about things, right? Like I was made fun of for a lot of things and wearing makeup did not take those insecurities away. The second I got to college, I bought a North Face backpack and a North Face jacket and... And then it went from Ugg boots to leather boots. I bought the leather boots and I, you know, I'm walking around being like, look, I'm doing the thing. I had big hoop earrings. I wore a plaid shirt. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I was like, I'm doing the thing. Like, don't I smell so good with my cucumber melon deodorant? Like, everyone's going to love me. And it didn't work. Like, I could not keep a friend. And I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with how you are presenting externally. It has nothing to do with your weight. It has nothing to do with how big your eyelashes are. It has everything to do with the fact that you are so insecure in yourself that you have what I call villain thoughts. These villain thoughts so deep in your head and it's basically like imposter syndrome and limiting beliefs is what villain thoughts are, right? You have them so deep in your head that you are so afraid to let people see the real you and we don't realize how much we do with our bodies too, like how much signaling our bodies give off as to you know what we're willing to like let in um so for me, you know, I thought here I am, I'm doing the thing, I'm blending in with the herd, but it, that wasn't the problem. So I guess to answer your question like no, not everybody is ready to do that type of work, you know, and I'm not saying people here's here's a should. I'm not saying people should, but I'm just saying if you are consistently feeling like you have to hide and you're consistently not feeling good enough and you Feel like you want to explore and you're in a place, you're in a safe place to explore those parts of yourself. It can be really liberating because now, like, I do something like this. I am in a sports bra. Like, people, I might post this later. I don't know if you're gonna save the video, but like, i'm in a sports bra like my i have not washed my hair today or yesterday right i have no mate like what is makeup here's my acne like you can see my videos on instagram here's what my back looks like this is me and this is part of when we go back to the story and not hiding i just don't want to hide anymore i'm like this is what i look like this is what i am so now if i go out i'm not like Oh my god oh my god i need to stop at the store and buy eyeliner and what was the last time i painted my nails i don't even know i don't do that anymore and that's because i just wanted to use my brain space for better things like i don't want to use my brain space being like do i smell good enough is she gonna like me because i smell good enough or not i want to use my brain space to like i don't know make real human connection and that's how we
0: feel better about ourselves you know for me it's if I don't take care of myself, if I don't do the things that make me feel good, then I don't have the capacity to do the work to help other people. I, I need to, I take care of myself. And for me, what makes me feel good, it it might not be what makes someone else feel good. So I want to make sure the people that are listening to this, like Alex said, it's not about that you're against makeup it's not about you shouldn't wear makeup to be your true self it's about figuring out what makes you truly happy and along those lines like how would you describe what who what's the characteristics and the look and the the vibe of someone that's living their true self
1: Yeah, 100%. Like you said, if it's part of your routine, it's something you like, you know, that's fine. I'm not telling people like you got to stop doing all these like it's it's fine. But I was in a place in my journey where I was like, okay, this is the next step in my healing, right? And it doesn't mean that it needs to be that for you. It's just looking at your intentions and, and why you're doing things. If you feel like you can't go out in public without these things. Do you want to explore that? Or do you not? If you don't, I'm not going to force you to. But you know, there's like a, a, one of the clients Like I do a lot, like I said, a lot of body image coaching and one of the clients I was talking to, she's got kids and she was telling me how she just wants to be able to play on the beach with her kids, like when we started working together, but she was so self-conscious about her body that she's just like one of those moms that's just like, you know, laying on the towel, like can't move, can't go play with the kids, afraid to be seen, right? So it's just looking at, well, how are these insecurities about yourself impacting Your life right now, and what type of life, like you said, how would you show up? What type of life do you want to live? Like, there, I'm not gonna say I never ever wear makeup, but if I'm gonna do something, that's the least important part about me, right? Like, that's I, I told you, I've been in so many job settings where they've told me to wear makeup, and I'm like, You did not hire me for how long my eyelashes are you hired me for the value that i can bring to the table and if you are fixating on so that was where i really started to rebel against that but again that was that was the next i've been doing this healing work for so long right and that was just for me i realized that needed to be the next part in my journey it doesn't mean it needs to be everybody else's journey but then also let's bring it back to shame for a second should shame because All these people that were posting these things on instagram they were also spiraling like they were going through you know we're all we're going through a lot with a pandemic and in the first place but what happens when should shame gets added on is that we spiral because we think we're failing so if you feel like you're failing because you're not doing these things that you've been conditioned to do but you're only doing for other people and now you're feeling worse and worse about yourself so now you stop doing other things right that's that's more what i mean is like look at your intentions behind what you're doing and is that should making it worse so if you like makeup and you like doing that like you go it looks great you, you did a good job like right, but go for it but if you're like i should be wearing makeup and i feel like a piece of shit because i didn't do my makeup today not because not because it's therapeutic but because i didn't do something society is telling me as a woman i should do there's a difference you know and women there's a reason men don't think they look bad without makeup. It's because nobody's told them that they need it, right? And so it's just looking at those types of things. Like I've had exes before tell me that I should shave my legs and I'm like, cool, I'll shave mine when you shave yours, right? So again, it's just looking at why do you feel this deep should need to do something and is there shame accompanying it? And if there's not shame accompanying it, cool, great, do your thing. And if there's shame and it's Inhibiting your life in any way, do you want to explore that? And if you don't and you're not ready to, don't. Like I didn't start working on the makeup thing until I was like twenty eight, you know? Did not. I was not in a place to. So I basically do do what you want with your life. That's <laughs> that's what I'm saying here. Like, I'm not anti makeup, I'm not like, you know, any of the stuff. Just do, do what you want. Do what makes you happy. But are you doing it for you or for somebody else?
0: Yes. And that that's the ultimate question um that people should be asking themselves and going back to the very beginning of our conversation when we kind of talked about we have to be the strength in ourselves to say i i want to get out of the situation i want to get back up and we have to have that first initial step of strength to do that but when is that right time or when what advice would you give to someone that is afraid to reach out and ask for help? Because they they did the hard part by getting up and saying, I need help. That That's the part where you have to do it alone. That's the part no one else can do for you. But after that, there's so many resources and there's so many people that are willing to help, that are able to listen and able to give their energy to you to help you become a better person in whatever shape or form so what advice would you give to someone that is afraid of taking that next step after saying i i need help but am i willing to accept help
1: yeah i think you said it perfectly i mean there's so much i could say but just just what you said about that step of asking for help and nobody else can do it for you right nobody knows what you need the way that you know what you need and even just one acknowledging to yourself that you need help because especially when you've grown up having to be independent i think acknowledging that even just to yourself can be really scary so that's a really strong thing to do is to just even have that conversation with yourself of like oh my gosh i think i need somebody else to help the second piece is reaching out that is a very strong thing to do i think it gets stigmatized a lot as asking for help meaning you're weak because you can't do it yourself but i'm going to go back to my herd analogy or pack analogy or you know whatever like you're not meant to do things alone. You look at wolves, they hunt in packs, right? You look at like any animal, there's usually something, they're not usually alone. So you're not meant to do that. And what I usually say is, you're just leveling the playing field, right? Like one, there are people who wanna help. Two, most likely there are people who are getting paid to help. So like if you're in school, what I would always say to my students is, you know, they're, they're afraid of asking for help from a, a faculty or staff member, right? and they're afraid of being a burden because that's something that comes up a lot i think for for many right is being that idea of being a burden i'm like like if you don't think anybody wants to help you because it's so deeply ingrained in you that nobody cares about you then i want you to realize that there are people who are being paid to help you and that might be in your school that might be a service it might be whatever but there are people who are being paid to help um is one thing that i usually say but the other thing is yeah like i said we're pack animals we're not meant to do things alone i think that asking for help is one of the strongest things the hardest things because right doing hard things i always say with my clients you're doing hard things you're doing strong things and because it's hard it is one of the strongest things that you can do and we're not you know it's going back to that comparison we spend a lot of time comparing to what we think everybody else has okay well one of the things that most of those people that you're comparing yourself to have is somebody to help right and so all you're doing by asking for help is just leveling the playing field and getting what everybody else already has. You know, how many times have you sat there and thought, well, if I had this, like, I can't tell you how many times I did it in college. If I had parents, then X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. We do it. Okay. And it's like, well, why can't you con- if, think of it as creating that connection and bond rather than thinking about it as saying I need help? You're creating a connection and bond with somebody that you deserved all along. So the story I always tell to my students is when I was in college and I was doing the 80-hour work thing and I could never register for classes on time, I couldn't pay my fee bills, a hot mess, I learned that you could apply for independent status. And that's basically like on your FAFSA where you are able to do it without your parents' information, right? And if anybody listening to this needs help with that, I have a nonprofit, hit me up, I'll help you, right? But... I remember going to my advisor one day, and here's here's part of it, is things like this will happen, could happen. I went to my advisor one day, and we were talking about my major, and I was not doing well in a bunch of classes because I'm working third shift. I didn't have textbooks. I didn't have a computer, whatever. And my advisor was like, hey, I don't know anything about anything that you're trying to do, but... Your grades are so bad, which they were not that bad, but okay. And it's like my credit score, not that bad, but like your grades are so bad that you're never gonna get into a grad school program. And honestly, I don't think school's your priority. I don't think you should be here, right? And your only hope is to get involved. And so here it was, like this first person that I had asked kind of asked for help. I didn't ask for help, but I, you know, disclosed some of my situation, being like, here's an here's my advisor. Maybe they will advise me. And That didn't happen, and that could have been, for somebody in my situation or anybody listening, that could have been a really make-or-break moment, right? And I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to prove him wrong, going back to that mentality at the time, right? I'm going to prove him wrong. So on top of my three jobs that I'm working, I applied to a peer counseling internship, and I went through all these rounds of the interview, and I got in, and I'm in this peer counseling class, and... I'm sitting there on the first day, and they're taking attendance, and the guy running it, who's the director of um, first year programs where I went to school, he was like, "I know you. I interviewed you. I know you're supposed to be here, but you're not on my roster. Why are you not on my roster?" And I was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance, and I'm gonna tell him the whole story." And this guy literally took me by the hand and walked me around campus and got me all the help that I had been trying and not able to get for two years where they kept denying my application. He was able to help me push it through. And that was 12 years ago, 10 years ago, somewhere between 10 and 12 at this point. We still talk. Um, You know, if I get married, like he's probably the person who's going to walk me down the aisle because I don't have that, right? So like... In that moment of being, let's go back to the word vulnerable, because that's how I felt at the time, I created a lifelong relationship, and this person is like the closest thing I have to a dad. So rather than looking at it as asking for help, it was like, okay, I just created this relationship. But if we at the time, yeah, I'm asking for help, and by doing that, I created a lifelong relationship. And then once that happened, I tried to do it again, and I did it with somebody else who literally also worked at the college now calls herself my adoptive mom. She came to my grad school graduation. I have never had a family member at my graduation ever in my entire life. And when I graduated grad school, she drove to Rhode Island to be there for me. And so again, it was here I am taking a chance. So like, let's just use those three, but I did I did this much more than three, right? Um, much more than three times, but if we just use those three instances, the first one did not go well. The second two turned into lifelong relationships, right? And then, even if we take like my whole lease situation as a thirty year old, here I am doing this again, where I wasn't exactly asking for help, but I was asking her to take a chance on me. And in order to do that, I had to be vulnerable and explain my some of my life story. And I got this like gorgeous house in Austin that i'm I can't even believe is mine, you know
0: the where I lived by the way, what? No,
1: stop. This is great. Wait, where are you? (laughs) I saw your comment and I was like, are you here?
0: Yeah. I'm in North Austin.
1: Okay. Okay. So I just got a house in Gerald. So I'm like very, very North.
0: Okay.
1: Um, Yeah. But Ray, but so it's like every single time we take a chance, we think we're taking a chance on somebody else because we don't know how they're going to respond. But in reality, what you're doing is taking a chance on yourself because what we don't realize is that when we're focusing so much on the resources that we think other people have what we don't realize is how much resourcefulness we actually are building and we feel like to gain that resourcefulness we need to do everything on our own when in reality part of resourcefulness is networking is making those relationships is asking other people for help and that is a life skill and it's a life skill that got me into grad school. It's a life skill that's gotten me jobs. It's a life skill that helped me start two nonprofits and, you know, get this house. And I, I love to be like, you know, and even in that post, like, oh, the life I've created for myself, but there's a reason I acknowledged all the people that have helped me get here because yeah, like I had 9 million waves knocked me down and I stood back up, but you know what? Like, when I stood back up, I said to people, hey, I just got knocked down by a wave. Can anybody help me? Because I'm about to fall over again. And like, if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I could have gotten back up again. So there's nothing wrong with doing that.
0: I agree. And, you know, that kind of leads us into the my next question, which is what do you do to help the foster care community and kind of the the why, the how, how and the what of um, foster independence foundation
1: yeah good question so i'll backtrack so before moving to texas i was working at a university and i was running what used to be called first star academy which people listening might have heard of it's like a college transition program for high schoolers in the foster care system and we had a summer program students would come and live with me we would offer college classes and life skills and, you know, going back to at the beginning when we were talking about this idea of doing things to prove other people wrong, I I get it, right? Because if we look at the statistics, it's like 3% of youth in foster care graduate from college. And it's like 60% will graduate from high school and 40% will enroll in university, right? So when we look at those statistics, I know so many youth in care that have been like, I need to not be a part of the statistic. I need to graduate college to not be part of the the other, right? I, I want to be part of the 3%. That's what they'll say, like be the 3% that graduates. And so there's this need to feel, you know, feeling like you need to prove people wrong and to to succeed. So anyway, this program was supposed to help with that transition and helping them graduate and graduate high school and go on to college, graduate college. Program that I was running that was actually my dream job when I graduated college. I i uh, volunteered I'd interned for the program and I loved it And I said I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna run this program And I'm gonna come back and do it at the school that I went to because there's so few throughout the country and while I'm there I'm gonna create this program to help independent students. So for anyone listening I was not in the foster care system, but experienced a lot of childhood abuse I split from my family when I was 17 and experience a lot of homelessness, you know, I had a couple of interactions with DCF growing up and definitely should have been in foster care and was not because we know how that goes sometimes. So I wanted to create a space for other students who were experiencing family estrangement and homelessness and what we call independent students, so students who couldn't have family info on their FAFSA and were escaping abusive situations a lot of times. So... I basically started a program there and I had a couple hundred students that I was indirectly working with because this was not like a sanctioned program at all, I was just doing it. And then during quarantine I ended up losing, they, they cut the high school program during quarantine and when they cut the program I ended up losing my job. So that's where I started my business full time, so I've been running my business full time for the last two years. And I decided to start Foster Independence Foundation to continue the work that I was doing. So basically what that is, is a combination of scholarship, mentorship, and advocacy work. So I started a scholarship program to help students with things like housing and food. And eventually when I get more, because it's still fairly new, help with textbooks or you know other essentials that they might need that again, other people might have help with right so it's not asking for help it's just like i said leveling the playing field acknowledging how difficult it is and then the mentorship piece so as a life coach and as somebody who's worked with this population for a while you know i wanted to use my skills to help you know i was i was doing a lot of academic advising and again same thing recognizing where the barriers are so anyone who gets a scholarship gets to work with me one-on-one for a year again just like how cool is it to have somebody who really actually just cares about you and wants to see you succeed and have you ever had that in your life right I
0: wish I knew about you when when I was going through college and, and that whole experience because I think what you're doing and what you provide brings up another point of there's so much that students even if they do meet that statistic that they have to go through that you know idyllic situation or environment students don't have to worry about like okay great I got into this college now what do I do how do I get the books how do I get the clothes how do I you know how do I fit in in a normal day-to-day just so I can focus on the important thing of going to school and studying like we have so much more to think about than just going to college as a as a normal quote unquote normal student that resources like what you're doing and the nonprofit that you have really does shed a light on it uh, as a not only a need but something that should kind of be an element to someone's college experience that they don't have to earn or work towards
1: that's a really really big thing for me is that i don't think like so housing is a basic right right like we need housing we need food and it is pretty much impossible for you to focus on being a student, regardless of how much colleges say students first, right? Like student athlete, student worker, you're not a student first when you're navigating Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs here and trying to figure out housing and food. And like as somebody who spent a lot of college couch surfing and sleeping in the library and sleeping in my car, you know, and doing all these things. Yeah, I was, I did not care about school that, you know, I was just trying to make it through. And then you also have this other piece of, Stigma and being afraid to ask for help or you take somebody like me for example where I was so I grew up in a household where you didn't talk about anything you hid everything, you know, and I Was so afraid to share anything that had happened and then also if you are still in the household You're also afraid because DCF could get involved and if DCF doesn't take you and you're in an abusive household you end up in a more dangerous situation than you were in the first time. Not going to say whether or not that happened, but it totally happened. So, you know, thinking about people coming in with that or like existing trauma, fear of trusting adults, right? There's so many things. And then you're also working through that PTSD or that depression, that anxiety, that OCD, like whatever the thing is, you're also working through that. And then a lot of students too, foster care or independent either one, the separation could have been recent, Mm. you know? And like, I, one of, one of my students, for example, we're super close, but they were in a foster home that was really, really toxic, you know? And it's, they kind of did what I did when, okay, started college, we're done, right? Like, I'm not going back here. I, I moved her in, I moved all her stuff, I drove to get her. And so even something like move-in, this is a whole other side tangent, like move-in. I can't tell you how many people I've helped with move-in and move-out and how you don't even think about that. Like if you don't have a car, if you don't have somebody to help you, and if the, the physical aspect of it aside, like the, the work that you have to do, what it's like when you are in that mental state of recently separating from somebody or feeling like you've never had that and watching hundreds of other students around you have these people that love them and care about them coming to help them move in and out and you're like well what do i have you know and i'm so grateful that you know i've done that work but i remember what that was like and that sucked and is i would rather like i don't even know like if if everybody had to do it themselves and nobody had any parents come in and help them. I didn't care about the physical work. Like I used to load trucks at FedEx. I think moving's fun. I would help people all day. But what was really hard and really painful at that time, based on where I was in my development and most 18, 19, 20 year olds are, is seeing that and being like, well, why don't I have that? So something that I've done a lot of is helping people with moving in and move out, just purely so they feel like they have somebody there. And then
0: even that- parents we
1: yeah parents weekend
0: thing and for me and then also you know i i could be the captain of whatever leading this club and that club but who's when i get an award or when i get you know someone that doesn't have have that yeah. you know parents or or that relationship in their life who's gonna be there for to congratulate me besides myself yeah. and the teacher that's giving me the award like who's gonna take that family picture with my award and what am I really doing all this for? So parenting Mm. one of those things for me too. And another thing I want to bring up about college itself is I don't, I, I firmly stand behind this is that the the ecosystem of college and the public education system doesn't allow you to do this in a way that doesn't hinder your possibilities. It's getting better. But um, if I had a gap year or two before I had to go into a different environment and kind of survive in this whole new environment and figure out who I am all by myself, if I had a year or two to kind of just be who I am as an adult and on my own I think that would have done wonders for especially foster kids
1: yeah and I I think it also goes back to those shoulds Mm -hmm. where you know I wanted to take a break in the middle or even between that and grad school I want to take a break and I remember all these people who worked you know either at the high school or the college or whatever being like no you can't because if you take a break you won't go back and it goes back to the shoulds where they're like you should do this and I think a lot of us trust these people at that point because we don't we don't know what to do we feel really lost and helpless and we end up trusting those shoulds and those voices more than our own voice and you know I can look back and be like yep I should have taken a break but it also
0: goes back to you know no one knows what you're truly going to through unless you speak up about it and
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um, that's why you know yourself best your body and your mind know yourself best and what you need and it's having that trust in yourself to it's good I mean and that's not to say you should never listen to anybody should you you want to listen to what they say with a grain of salt as they say but also know yourself enough to be like I understand what they're saying and and the mindset that they have but they don't understand my mindset so I I know I shouldn't do that
1: yeah it's like everyone's just going to give you advice based on their own fears and insecurities so like when I started my business all these people were like you can't do that and it's like well their definition of success is different than my definition of success and i'm much happier now i'm honestly making more money now which like is most people's conventional but they talked a lot about stability like a lot of people were like your life's been so unstable you need stability you can't start a business and i was like well no no what i had was consistency i consistently knew when i was going to get paid and i consistently knew i couldn't pay my bills and i consistently had to work three jobs so let me get rid of that consistency and create some stability for myself, you know, I would not, you asked me that four years ago and I would have been like, oh my God, I can't there's, cause I didn't believe in myself enough, you know, and I had to, to do that work. But yeah, I agree with you. College is not set up in a way it's especially for people who have experienced things the way that we have. And, you know, even something else I was going to ask you about when we're talking about moving, like. I've helped so many students move in, and I think also just for them having somebody there. But, you know, a lot of students in our situation, they're moving stuff in in trash bags, right? Or they're moving everything. Like, I can't tell you how many fights I got in with my first-year roommate because I did live on campus for a little bit, um, and we got in so many fights because I didn't go anywhere. So she would go home, and she would swap out, like, summer clothes and winter clothes, and I had half a dorm room with everything. And when I move students in, it's the same thing. It's like, they feel like they have to apologize for how much space they're taking up compared to their roommate. I don't know if that's something yeah. you've kind of felt.
0: I I personally never lived on campus, um, but I I imagine like that to be the case. And it's also, a, you know, it's it's the fundamentals of needing everything because you don't have a place to put it. But it's also for me, it was, I didn't want to let go of it. I didn't know mm. if I could get it again, so I would have a lot of this stuff, and that was also another mindset that I had to get over. And you know, along the lines of of the trash bag, it's that's such a. It seems like it's such a small thing, and you know, to kind of base this whole movement around reinventing the trash bag moment for these foster kids and and independent students, but it's so true that that's such a huge moment in our lives where we're told to put everything that brings us value to our lives and our personal belongings into a trash bag. And one of the things that I want to do is kind of reinvent the trash bag moment. And the question Mm -hmm. that I always ask my podcast guests is, you know, what thought about independence would you want to debunk and put in the trash bag
1: Ooh, i like that segue there um that was that was good and yeah i mean and i will i will just say too like even though i wasn't in foster care i you know and i I will not know what it was like you know just going from group home to group home and, and some of the things my students have experienced like my first trash bag moment was when i was six you know And I remember what it was like packing a trash bag because my parents would kick me out all the time starting in elementary school. And I remember what it was like packing a trash bag with what I thought were my most prized possessions as a a six-year-old and hanging it out the window being prepared for, you know, they're going to kick me out any moment and I can come back and get this later because it's it's outside, right? And how that translated to being in high school and having my stuff in, in my locker and I kept all my prized possessions in my locker and, you know, and then how that translated to college. And... So to answer your question, so you're saying what myth about independence would I put in the trash bag? I think part of it is, is that you have to do that all alone. Like I think when I talk about – you you know, You're on your own yeah like I think when I talk about these these things and I look you know I show the picture, I don't it's like I, I can't put my experiences into pictures. Like what I have is the picture of my locker that actually somebody took because they were making fun of me, like one of my classmates in high school took. and I still have that, you know, and I have a picture of my car that I lived out of for a little while and I when I tell the story, I show those pictures because that's all that I have. and people are always like, wow, you're so strong. Like you, as a high schooler, you came up with that all by yourself, like living out of your locker room or like, wow, as a six-year-old, you know, I actually talk about how when I was in uh, elementary school, I started a basket making business during recess to buy food, like to get snacks because I I was like, I need money. So I, I would take the supplies and make paper baskets and sell them to other kids for 25 cents to put their, uh, you know, pencils in. And then when I was in high school, I started a – clown business because I knew how to juggle and I didn't know anything else and I was like okay we'll figure it out and it's always been like I don't know how I'm gonna get through this but I'm gonna figure it out I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this and people are like wow you're so strong and resilient and independent because you figured all these things out by yourself and I wish that earlier two things one is like I wish that I had figured out asking for help more efficiently earlier like I you know, now I don't even think about it. Now I'm just kind of like, cool, who do I know? How can they help me? And also, how can I help them? Because a lot of times we feel like we don't have our shit together at all based on our circumstances, when in reality, we have more to offer to people than we let ourselves believe, right? So it's not just like, if you feel like you're just asking for help and like taking, 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 it's like, okay, well, what can you also give? Like, how is this a, this is a relationship? But then also, yeah, and, and just thinking about, how I, at that age, I prided myself on the fact that I was independent and I was figuring stuff out and too yeah, yeah, and, then, and now, as an adult, I'm like, actually, you know when I think back in it, I wasn't as independent as I thought because like my my track coach, for example, she well no I was, but but based on my definition, I wasn't right? My track coach, um she, knew something was going on, but she she didn't know what, right? She can't know what because mandated reporter, so I'll never put her in that position. But she would let me skip gym class and go train for like our track meets because she knew that my mom wouldn't let me go to – I was like doing this in secret. My mom wouldn't let me go to practice. She told me I couldn't do track unless I was number one on the team and I was number two. So like, yeah, so she would let me use our gym class to to train and track was – track and cross country were the things that was my protective factor that's what like i think kept me alive at that point in my life was having that right and so that was you know at that point i was i've prided myself on how secretive i was like my family's russian and i was always like i am a spy nobody knows what i am doing nobody can you know like whatever and i prided myself on it but it's like, well. I let her in enough for her to know so that you know, I some something was up so that I could continue doing what I loved. And like my I had another teacher who had no idea what was going on, but like knew again, like created a, a close relationship with enough to know that like I basically, They basically let me sleep during class because they knew that I wasn't sleeping. I let them know that much. And I was a straight-A student in his class, and, like, he literally would just wake me up to answer questions and all the other students. And, and then he could be like, look, she's sleeping, and she's still, she's still answering stuff better than you all, right? But so, like, all this time, I prided myself on being independent and felt like I had to do everything myself. I couldn't let other people know what was going on. But when I really think back on it, I was letting other people in, but I just... I wouldn't let myself admit that I was getting help because I felt like I needed to prove something. And I think when you take the ego out of it and just remember that you could be missing out on so many amazing connections, on on an amazing life. You know, I love mentoring. I love coaching. I think that I've had coaches. I've had mentors, right? Because I think that that's how we grow. But when we, we say, I don't need this. I don't need anybody. Then you just continue feeling alone. doesn't matter how successful you think you are. You're just alone. You know, it was all over the place, but I just, but like, I literally just took you. Yeah. I took you through, like I I started as like 14 year old Alex and I just took you through my mentality from like 14 to 30 of like, and it shifted and it's gone back and forth and back and forth of like, I don't need anybody. It's not,
0: it's not this. No, No, it's not linear at all. It really, really does shift and and because you're growing and because you're healing. So you can't heal without almost going backwards because you have to reassess. But there's a way to do it smartly. And I always say work smarter, not harder. And that relates to that, but it also relates to asking for help. And that's how you can Mm -hmm. work smarter towards whatever goal that you have.
1: Yeah, 100%. We're not... We're not meant to do
0: things alone. No. Agreed. Um, I wanted to ask you, how has how you grew up and the love that you didn't receive affect from your parents, affect your personal relationships in college and as an adult now?
1: Good question. So I think that kind of going back to that development piece, it's affected me very differently at different stages in my life. I think that at 17 when I made that final, final split, I was very focused on what I thought everybody else had that I didn't. And I started dating an ex and I, I really just wanted this experience of having a family and doing holidays and doing these things. And I got that. And it still wasn't good enough for me because every time I was there and I saw how they treated him versus how they treated me, which like they didn't treat me badly, but obviously it's not the same as like their biological child. I'm just some girl they just met, right? So I think that was really hard for me because I was, again, really focused on comparison and what I thought other people had and what I thought those relationships were like. Um, I will say like as a as a kid, I didn't care that much. It sounds weird, but like – So my dad has never said, I love you. And when I bought him presents for like holidays or his birthday, he would throw them in the trash in front of me. And I was just kind of like, this is who he is. I never liked him. Like I would, I called my parents, the Russians. I didn't even refer to them as mom and dad. They were the Russians. And I was very, I separated myself at a very early age. And at a very early age, I was able to say something's wrong with them and not me. And I think what really negatively impacted me at an early age wasn't that, but it was actually my relationship with other kids because I think that there's only so much where other people can invite you over and your parents say no and you're never allowed to go places or... Um, honestly, other kids' families who met my parents were like, you're not allowed to hang out with her anymore. Um, So it was, you know, those peer relationships that was the hardest piece for me. It was feeling like I never fit in or never belonged anywhere that carried with me. So I was facing both. So I got to college and I'm like super obsessed with trying to make friends and be super cool and, like I said, bought, bought all the things, did all the things. But then at the same time, there's this piece of me that feels like, Wow, okay, every single break, so when I started out living on campus, the dorms shut down for every single break. So I'm watching other people get picked up by their families, and they're getting hugs, and they're like, oh my God, I love you so much, I missed you so much, and I'm like, wow, I've never heard that. And then they leave, and now I'm alone on this giant campus, sneaking back into the dorm behind the people who are cleaning the building, hoping I don't get caught, and hiding behind a washing machine, because they lock the buildings. You know. So not only did I not have that, but now I'm literally alone trying to be just super crafty so I can survive. And the huge campus, being alone on a huge campus like that really was kind of this, wow, I really am alone. And that was where my mindset was at that point in time. And then, you know, that kind of that, I kept going with that. I kept being like, why does everybody else have this? And I remember watching, this was the pivotal moment for me, it was, I'm sitting in the library one day and I'm watching this group of girls because it really was the friendship thing, I think for me, that was like the biggest. And I'm watching this group of girls and they're all laughing and, you know, hanging out, whatever. And this one girl leaves. And I remember hearing one of the other girls say how much she loves the girl that just left. And, you know, she's so great. She's so funny. She's so whatever. And I remember sitting at the table and I'm just so depressed at this point in my life. And I'm sitting at the table being like, oh, why can't that be me? Mm And then I stopped and I was like, well, hold up. Why can't that be you? And I realized that I was telling myself all of these stories of like, you know, I'm not lovable. I'm this, I'm that. So here I was being like, so proud of myself being like, my parents didn't affect me at all. I'm fine. And then realizing that like some of the stuff that they said of like, if DCF took me, and I I think this might be something a lot of people have felt or heard, if DCF took me i would never find another home because i was impossible to love right yeah you know that was that was the thing i think the one thing that really stuck with me was that like i was like i don't need them to say they love me i don't need their validation like screw that i don't need that there's something wrong with them but there was this thing of like i was really scared to be put in foster care because i was convinced by them that i would end up in a worse more dangerous situation because Right. Yes. And so like I slept in my friend's basement like that was that seemed safer to me. Right. So I think that that did carry with me because putting myself in relationships where I'm meeting other people's families like exes. I felt so, so, so self-conscious because I felt like I, I needed to figure out instantly who they wanted me to be. And I needed to be that person because otherwise you know, they, the same thing would happen. I would just like repeat that dynamic, if that makes sense, you know, because I spent my whole life trying to figure out who my parents want me to be and be that person. So I'm meeting meeting my ex's family. I'm like, okay, I have to be exactly who they want me to be. You don't want me to wear yoga pants? You want me to wear a dress? Okay, on it. You want me to wear, wear makeup? Okay, on it. Do you like me yet? Do you love me? Right? And just like wanting that and wanting that and then realizing Yo, you're not gonna get that. You're not their biological child. And not to say, not to say that like you can't have if you're adopted, right? You can't have that love. But it was like, I am this this guy's girlfriend. We've been dating for two weeks. You he has like 23 years of right. experiences with these people. They've no okay, right? And so I'm coming into it expecting them to show me the same exact amount of love as their son that they have raised for 23 years within meeting me, within a day. And when that didn't happen it brought me back to that story of like, I'm just unlovable instead of being like, bro, you just met them. Calm yourself. Right. So a lot of that on loop until I kind of started to do that. So go back to the library days of like, well, why can't that be me? And I realized that it was the stories that I was telling myself and that I wasn't letting people see the real me because I was trying to be what I thought everyone else wanted me to be because that's a survival mechanism and that's how we feel disappointment safe.
0: Disappointment when things don't go the way that you thought it would.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think for me it was like very survival-esque, not even disappointment, but like if I do this, then I will be safe, right? Like if I do this, then I will get what... And so... That was that day changed everything for me. That was the day where I was like, we're gonna start focusing on what we're grateful for that we do have, not what we don't. We're gonna start reframing thoughts. We're gonna figure out what is the picture in your head. So for example, they must love me after day two of meeting me as much as they love him after twenty-three years of raising him. Like we're gonna we're gonna change that picture. And so right, and talking about disappointment, like we're disappointed because we got this picture in our head and we're not willing to change it because we think that picture matches what everybody else has when in reality it really doesn't because also doing like holidays with my ex I'm like oh your family's dysfunctional too cool right but in our heads we build it up to be this big thing and we're not willing to change the picture in our head and the picture in reality doesn't match it yet so I was like hey choice theory reframing gratitude hero thought like go. And I started, I was a psych major. Like I was like, use what you're learning. Stop. You're not stuck. Stop. Right. And that was where I started to shift my mindset and go on this whole journey. And so for anybody listening to this, I've been doing this work since 2012, 2013, 2012, you know,
0: it does.
1: Yeah, it does not. It does not. And so now here I am being like, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to say it never affects me. Like, you know, there are times doing holidays with like my partner's family sometime where they're they're reminiscing about childhood stuff. And I'm like, oh, that must've been nice, you know? But like, for the most part though, I don't consider it to be traumatic. I don't consider it to be something that affects me. I think it's just something that I experienced. And I, but I think the reason why is because I've made those mindset shifts. I love the life I've created and I found love in other ways. Like I got rid of this idea of needing a biological family. I got rid of this idea of, needing to feel like I had the same childhood experiences as somebody else because in reality if we took me out of the town that I grew up in or the state that I grew up in and you know put me in Texas now people in Texas had very different childhood experiences than I did up in Connecticut and that's that's normal so I stopped making it about what I didn't have started making it about what I do have and what I did have and I stopped chasing external validation and love and I was like well do I love me it doesn't matter if anybody else loves me do I love me and if I can do things that make me love myself then everybody else's love is just like cherries on top of the, the ice cream right not saying I don't need it because that's that that hyper independence of like trauma hyper independence I don't need anybody's love like I'm not saying that but it's I'm not I am i don't think I'm unlovable I'm not think i am unlovable i not relying on other people's validation do i want it sometimes cuz i'm human yeah do i want other people's love cuz i'm human yeah but i'm not basing my self worth off of it and that is the yes,
0: difference and that's the clear difference and it back to cuz i did the same thing uh even with the family that i have now with my partner's family but for me, my way of flipping this script, instead of being like, you know, for an example, I have maybe five childhood pictures, baby pictures of me. And instead of being like, oh, it would be really nice if I had more baby pictures of me. Um, I am thankful that John has baby pictures of him and I'm thankful that I get to see them and I cherish them. So it doesn't come from a place of, I wish I had, it's, oh my gosh, look at the life that he has. And I get to be a part of it now and I get to cherish these baby pictures. And I think I wasn't looking necessarily looking for his family to fill a void in my life, but more add to it. And I think there is a difference. There's a difference between trying to find something to fill a void um, and then trying to or letting creating something to add to your life. Because if you're trying to fill a void in your life and the thing happens that is supposed to fill it and you still don't feel complete, it leads to that disappointment. And that's where your expectations and your reality don't mix.
1: Yes, 100%. And I feel like people are chasing that literally all the time. And we're always moving on to the next thing. Like I remember when I got my first apartment and I was so excited because coming from housing insecurity, I'm like, this is all I need. And then I'll be happy. And then it's like, oh, it's not big enough. Or like, oh, now I have dogs. I need a house. Oh, now I need a bigger yard. Like we're always chasing. And it's like, can we just sit in it for a second and just be excited and be grateful? And, And yeah, and add like, I had a coworker ask me a couple years ago if the reason I do so many things is because I'm trying to fill that void or I'm trying to distract myself right. from, right, all not this stuff. And I'm yeah.
0: like, what? Not sitting in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not allowing myself to think or to feel or to be present. I'm like, no, I love being present. I love sitting in my shit. I own my shit, you know? But for me, it's more so I do everything out of gratitude, not out of avoidance i do everything because i can i help other students because i can't like even that it's like oh you're trying to you know be the mentor you never had like yeah kind of but i also do these things because i can and so why not you know and it's it's not about avoidance it's about like you said adding like what feels really good what can i do to to add and make the most out of this life because i think for so many of us we didn't think we would get to where we are. Even if maybe you're not happy with where you are yet, think back a couple of years, like did you even think you would get to this point? Can we just take a second to celebrate that and admire that and like, cool, we are here. And that means that you've done a lot of really impressive and cool and hard shit already, which means that there's probably gonna be more impressive and cool and hard shit in the future, but how can you take that and make the most of it? And I'm like, well, you know what? I made it through all that. Like, what can I do with my life? Like, that's awesome. I can do some cool, hard things. How can I use that
0: superpower, you know? And that's what it is. It's a superpower. Um, and yeah. I think the last question that we'll leave off with is um, the quote that has kind of, not necessarily you picked, like for me, my quote is something that found me and it has shown up over and over again in my life. But what's just a quote that you want to end our conversation with?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I know you told me this and I'm like, I can't
0: pick. I Um, like um, that poster behind you, the black one. I like what that says. The black one. This one says, our lives
1: begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter which is basically how I live my life. Yes. I'm like, I have a voice. Let me use it. Like I am grateful that I have a voice. Let me use it. Um, There's honestly, so I have a, I have a post. There's another poster over here and this is side process life, but I'm just going to read you some things on this poster and see what it sticks with. Actually, no, wait, there's one in front of me that I'm going to tell you because my students love it. So so it is a quote by my favorite band rise against and the quote says let's unwrite these pages and replace them with our own words. And something that I painted and I actually took all of the words so all my my villain thoughts I did this a couple of years ago all the things that people have said about you that have made you feel like shit about yourself and you put those are those are not your pages. Those are pages somebody else wrote for you. So how can you take that back and replace? And so I always talk about villain and hero thoughts and like villain thoughts are the things that people have said that you're like not going to be successful you're not good enough you're not smart enough right whatever and your hero thoughts are the thoughts that you come up with because those villain thoughts didn't come from you you were taught those the hero thoughts you come up with and they come out just like heroes in a superhero movie and they come out and fight and they're like no screw you we don't want to we don't want that word in here so if you're saying like you know i'm not smart enough it's like no i can learn these things right i am smart i am capable and coming up with what would what word would you have used to describe yourself before the world told yeah. you how you should describe yourself? Right. So I wanna say that probably has been the biggest one for me. And I mean, I think, yeah, I was gonna get it tattooed at some point. So let's talk about that one. <laughs> but you know, I I think that one, when, when I think back to like when I was struggling the most, that was always it for me because it was always like you, I like writing, so it was always like this idea that we do have more control than we think we do. And are you letting somebody else write the pages for you? Or are you going to fight to take that pen back?
0: And that's what you need to do, because you might not have been able to control your past, but you can control your present. And that includes what you think of yourself and what others think of you. And I think that's a great activity that people listening to this podcast saying, I really need to take that first step of getting up and getting help, but I don't necessarily know where to go from there. I think doing that activity where they're writing down, which is not the pages in their book, they're just writing down what other people are writing for them, and then getting their hero out and just fight. Yeah, ripping it apart, fighting. Yeah,
1: shred it up, burn it, shred it up. Writing your pages.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I literally the the. thing the canvas that I painted that I'm looking at it actually only has the hero thoughts on it it doesn't even have the villain thoughts so I like shred up the villain thoughts the only things that go on the canvas are the the hero thoughts and I see it constantly I see those words constantly so who do I want to be and those words are present in front of me every single day to remind myself that that's you know who I am and I will just say one more quote that I like which probably very common a lot of people have heard this but it's because of what you were just saying It's know your why and you'll figure out your how. So you're talking about people saying like, I want to get help, but I don't know where to start. Okay, well, what is your why? What is the why behind things that you're doing? And if it is important enough to you, you will figure it out, right? But you have to decide, like, I decided I was tired of feeling stuck. I decided that I was going to make a change. And I had no idea how most of the things I've done in my life, we talk about independence, like I've had no idea what I was doing. But I knew I had to do it. And so I knew I would figure it out. And that's that resourcefulness. And everybody has the ability, even when you don't have resources, if you stop focusing on the resources for one second, you're going to realize that you have so much more resourcefulness than you ever could have let yourself believe.
0: So Alex, one of the things throughout this entire conversation, now that we're getting to the end of it, that I wanted, that came up for me and I want to talk about is when you're telling me your mindset and you're telling me your stories, there's a lot that went through my head where I was like, I think the same way, I did the same thing. Even though we didn't go through the same things, um, I feel like there's a lot that was similar and a lot of the mindset shifts that I had were similar to yours, even though we didn't go through the same things. And one of the things I've noticed a lot is Some people think that their story doesn't deserve to be heard because it's not as traumatic to other people as someone else's story. Do you experience that with the um, students that you have or the people that you
1: coach? Yeah, I think it's so common. And it's whether it's trauma or anything else, we always are in this mental space of somebody else has it worse. And I feel like that's part of our conditioning. You know, we grow up with people being like, don't complain, somebody somewhere's got it worse, like children in Africa, right? But it's like, you can't trauma compare and i think when you're talking about asking for help that's part of what deters people from asking for help is because they assume that they don't have it as bad whatever that means as somebody else like somebody else was able to figure it out and get through it so they should too when in reality you the only person you know a hundred percent about their situation is your own no matter what you think you know no matter what you think you see from other people the only thing you know is your own and two people could go through the exact same traumatic event and experience it very, very differently, right? So you can't, like, you never can say somebody had something worse because you also don't know how you would have experienced, like how your brain, your body would have reacted to what they experienced and you don't know how they would have reacted to what you experienced. It's so individual and we can't stop ourselves from getting the help we deserve and living the lives we deserve because we think someone else has it worse. When in reality, again, like you don't even actually know. And ultimately the only thing that we know is what we've experienced and how our brain has reacted to what we've experienced and
0: everyone else. what? That's what I always say. Cause you know, me going through physical and sexual abuse as a child, that, Traumatic response in that event in my brain, it could be kind of the same stress, amount of stress as someone that went through something a lot of people might consider a lot less, but their brain had to grow and had to wrap around this event. And it doesn't always necessarily matter what that event is as long as it was groundbreaking as long as like their their foundation shifted no matter what caused that foundation to shift it's traumatic and that's what I need to remember and that's what everyone needs to remember is that your story still matters your feelings and the capacity of what you feel still matters and you know in relation to that I don't know if you were the same way or not but I would love to hear other people's, you know, their lives and and what they thought was sad in their lives or what they kind of the drama they were going through because I got to almost be a normal kid through it. And so I enjoyed other people sharing their trauma with me. And I never compared it because I knew that there wasn't a comparison. But that's also when I learned that to them, that is the most traumatic thing they've been through. And to them, they could easily learn the same things that I've learned through without having to go through exactly what I went through.
1: Yes, yeah, 100%. It's kind of like how people always assume that physical abuse is worse than emotional abuse, right? Because like a lot of people are like, oh, that's scary. But it's like, well, no, because things heal, you get stronger, you learn how to defend yourself, right? But the the harm that emotional and mental abuse causes especially if your brain is developing like that can last much longer into life right or a lot of it has to do with what other protective factors do you have in your life at the time like my track coach or you know do you have a dog do you have a friend and i always tell people my relationship with my peers was more traumatic than my relationship with my parents and people are like what but you yeah. know like knowing what you experienced how and it's like well what did i need at the time right i didn't care about their Love. I didn't care about that validation. I cared about wanting friends. I gave up on my parents. I wanted friends, right? So it's like, where's your perceived control? Where are your protective factors? What are you valuing at the time? Where are you in development? How old are you? What is your worldview? You know, if I was somebody who, like, really, really, like, yeah, I wanted my parents' validation at one point. But if I was somebody, like, my mom, for example, like, she was more more emotional and mental abuse. And my dad was more physical, mostly, if we were to, like, percentage it. Like, that was so much worse for me. Because for him, I was just like, this is just this, like, mean, violent man. I don't give a shit about him. For her, for a while, like, we had a relationship when I was really, really, really little, like, toddler. And then all of a sudden, it was just, like, she changed. And that was gone. You know what I mean? And so it's, like... For me, that was like, oh, there was this person that I loved at one point and I can remember being three and having good relationships, so I'm going to keep trying because I know she's in there somewhere, right? Versus if she kind of just started off being an asshole like my dad, you know, that's all I ever knew. So a lot of it has to also go back to like, what change does your brain need to wrap around? You know, has it always been like this? Was something taken away? Was there a loss? Was there grief in the loss process? You know, it's so so layered and you know not everyone's in a space to unpack that but we can all be in a space to say that our experiences are our own and other people's experiences are their own and you're never gonna know what somebody was going through even if you think you did even if it's similar like a lot of my students go through similar things does not mean we felt the same way and it does not mean that we can compare
0: right and also even if there's a lot of similarities in a story. There could be one little thing that makes a difference. And we go back to that trash bag moment. It seems so little compared to the grand scheme of things, but someone that has experienced that versus someone that hasn't, like that's enough to change their whole kind of story about how they perceive themselves, even if they've gone through similar traumatic situations.
1: And I will say, so as a kid, I read a lot. I read so much. And that was something that was a big protective factor for me. And I saw myself through characters like Matilda and Harry Potter and, you know, use that as like, I'm sure so many people did, right? And it's like, yeah. like, I mean, I still can't figure out why I can't move things with my mind, but it's fine. So, um, but, you know, but that was, that was really critical for me. Like if I didn't have those books, I might have felt so different versus I was kind of like, cool, I like get to be like one of these characters that I really look up to and they had a good ending. So like, I'm going to have a good ending, right? And, it, and I kind
0: of,
1: yeah, I kind of just lived my life. Like I was, a, you know, talking about rewriting pages. I lived my life like I was a character in a book or a superhero and like reading all these things where people are just like fighting off bad guys all the time. And I'm like, cool, this is just part of life. Like I didn't know any different. So when, when I was really little and I did the the trash bag out the window thing I was really into Harriet the spy. So in my brain, I was like, I'm just being a spy. I'm just, you know, putting my my bag out the window or, you know, like sleeping in the locker room, stuff like that, sneaking into dorm rooms. I've always kind of had this mentality of like, I'm just kind of like one of these characters in the book and I'm going to see it as a, a challenging experience, like something that I'm going to write a book about one day. So it's Plain never been, yeah, it's never been, I think, as bad as it could have been had I not had that mentality but I went into all these experiences being like hell yeah like I'm gonna be in the CIA I used to want to be in the CIA I went into all oh. these experiences being like this is just CIA training like this is all that this is you know I,
0: re- I remember saying like you know a lot of a lot of uh, people in the CIA and FBI they get recruited out of foster care <laughs>
1: I mean, I can't speak for for fostering, but I will say that I was very good at, I mean, look at this apartment or look at this house that I just got, right? Like did not meet the criteria, but like got her to like me and now I'm in, right? And like very, uh, what's the word? Yeah, resourceful, scrappy, like whatever, whatever the things, you know, I, um, my mom used to have me spy on stuff that my dad was doing that at that age, we could have just, said was traumatic for me to watch but in my head I was like nah I'm like I'm hanging upside down from a stair railing and I'm like looking through a mirror that reflected off a bookcase that reflected off a computer screen you know and I'm like sweet I've I've got this down or like when they'd kick me out of the house if I needed something I'd I knew when her like chiropractic schedule was and I would sneak back into the house I was climbing on and off my roof to get in and out of my bedroom window like these are skills that like I started doing ninja warrior and I'm like I got this I've been doing this for forever but so your mindset, like where you are at that point in your life plays a really big role. And like in college, I felt less resilient than I did as a kid because I was not in a good mindset. It was worse than it was going through all the abuse because now I had separated from it. My nervous system was like, what are you doing? And I'm working 80 hour weeks. And I'm like, it was a whole new type of trauma that I wasn't used to. I was used to 17 years of abuse. I was not used to whatever this was, right? So that was more traumatic for me than a lifetime of of abuse and people are always like the abuse was the traumatic thing and i'm like no 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 right (laughs) you know you get it
0: oh my god it's like i'm speechless
1: (laughs) people (laughs) don't realize it
0: they don't they they do not and i don't have the energy to explain it to them
1: and you don't have to it's not your job
0: thank you so much alice yeah thank you for having me amazing wonderful conversation and I think a lot of people will benefit from it. Um, I would love for you to say how um, people can get in touch with you, what your Instagram handles are, um, and are you open to people reaching out to you with questions or comments about this podcast?
1: Yeah. I love when people reach out to me, let's have a conversation. I'm not scary. People will tell you I'm not scary. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. It's at, I am Alex cats cats, like meow, but with a K and a Z. So not like meow at all. And I also have the handle for foster independence foundation, which I don't know if maybe you want to just link it in the description because it's long, but people can follow the nonprofit account too. And I'll give you my uh, Shred the Should podcast link too if folks yeah. want to listen to that. But I love talking. So yeah, please, you know, my my page, Foster Independence page, page, whatever you want to do, just like slide in the DMs, let's talk. And hopefully this was helpful for people. And this was, I think, one of my favorite podcast conversations I've had recently. So thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so
0: much, Alex.